0: Now, there are some folks and they have some funny ideas about getting to heaven or Christianity or being a Christian. I've talked to people and they've said, well, I've always been a Christian. Huh? You have always been a Christian? There's no such thing according to the Bible. There are others who will say, well, I've always believed. I've always been a believer. That too is not what the Bible teaches. Have you been converted? Could you point to a time in your life when you we're converted spiritually speaking we're going to be talking about that word converted or or spiritual conversion today and i want you to listen very very carefully
1: the bible says that the gospel of christ is the power of god unto salvation welcome to pulpit power featuring pastor tony skeving senior pastor of fargo baptist church in fargo north dakota today's message was previously preached before a church audience and now, here's Pastor Skevin.
0: I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. When you think of the word conversion, what do you think of? I know as kids growing up, we thought conversion vans were really neat, you know? You converted something. There are conversion kits that will convert over certain appliances, But Webster defines conversion in several ways, and so does the thesaurus. It's a a changeover. It is reconstruction. Uh, It's a transformation. We would use the word metamorphosis. Uh, A conversion, spiritually, though, is talking about a change of heart or uh, seeing the light. It's been defined that way by some. But we call it being born again. These are all ways of describing this thing of conversion. And we find it mentioned here in our text, Acts chapter 3. And in verse number 19, Peter, preaching to a crowd, says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Notice that again in verse 19. Repent ye therefore. And be converted. We're going to be talking about that word converted or, or spiritual conversion today. And I want you to listen very, very carefully. Let's go to the Lord first in prayer though, shall we? Father, we thank you now for the, the glorious experience of spiritual conversion. I speak to many today who have experienced it. But no doubt today there are those who never have. And Father, it's so easy to be misunderstood help us now to wrap our hearts and minds around this subject we pray and ask it in Jesus name amen many years ago over in England there was a woman an elderly woman who was going to receive a visit from Queen Victoria herself she invited her niece over to be part of this and sure enough Queen Victoria showed up and they had tea and crumpets together And as they were talking, the three of them there, Queen Victoria leaned over and she said to the young lady, the niece, she said, have you experienced salvation? Do you know for sure that you're a Christian? The young lady said, oh yes, I've been christened and I've been confirmed. Of course, the queen immediately knew she didn't understand what she was talking about. They finished their tea. The queen said, let's read from the Bible. And so she read some passages from the book of John all about salvation and then she said let's pray and as she prayed she mentioned this young lady this niece and how she needed Christ and how the Lord needed to open her eyes and she understand the conversion that the Bible is talking about as far as being a Christian the niece thought this odd but it wasn't till later on in fact nearly a year later that she understood that she had never truly become a born-again Christian And had never been converted. And she said, you know, for many years as a little girl growing up, I often prayed, God save the queen. But that day, the queen prayed for me. God save that young lady. Give her a, a spiritual conversion. Have you been converted? Could you point to a time in your life when you were converted, spiritually speaking? Because... This is something the Bible definitely teaches. We read in Psalm 51, 13, the psalmist said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. As he's talking to God, he speaks of the conversion of sinners. And then we read over in Matthew 18, 3, Christ says, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He speaks here of being converted. He speaks of the the humbling of ourselves that needs to take place there when we are converted. Now, there are some folks, and they have some funny ideas about getting to heaven or Christianity or being a Christian. I've talked to people, and they've said, well, I've always been a Christian. Huh? You have always been a Christian? There's no such thing according to the Bible. There are others who will say, well, I've always believed. I've always been a believer. That too is not what the Bible teaches. In John 1.12 it says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. If you have to become something, you were never that before. There was a day in my life when I became a driver. I took a test, I received my license, and I became a licensed driver. There was a day in my life when I took another test, and I became a master electrician. I became a master electrician. And in the same way, there must be a time in your life when you become a child of God. Nobody has always been a Christian. Nobody has always believed. And again, the verse says, but as many as receive Christ, to them gives he the power to become the sons or the daughters of God, the children of God. You have to become a Christian. You know, in John chapter 3, there's even a comparison made by Jesus Christ, no less, of a spiritual birth and a physical birth. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. If you sit here today, you've had a physical birth. He says, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's a spiritual birth. You must have this spiritual birth in order to go to heaven when you die. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you had that spiritual birth? birth nobody has always been a Christian nobody has always believed nobody has grown into being a Christian I've heard that as well well I'm kind of growing into it that's not found in the Bible there are those who decide to get a little bit more religious but that's not spiritual conversion there are some who decide well I want to get into God I I want to know God a little better that's not spiritual conversion there are some who start attending Bible studies Some who start reading their Bibles. Some who go to the Christian bookstore and buy Christian books. Or they turn on Christian radio and they start listening to Christian music. But that's not what it means to be spiritually converted. You can get interested in spiritual matters. You can get into it, as they would say. But that's not spiritual conversion. We find in Matthew 13, 15, Christ says... For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Of course, he's speaking here in a spiritual context, but he's talking about that blindness, that deafness, that hardness of the heart here. And how God needs to overcome that, draw you unto himself, you need to respond, but there must be that conversion. Have you had a time in your life when you were converted? We find throughout God's word, his spokesmen and prophets who call people to repentance and conversion. And here in Acts chapter 3, last time we were looking at Peter as he did just that very thing. And as, as, as Peter draws his sermon to a close here, we find that There's guilt and there is conviction. But then he gives to his listeners hope. He gives to them hope. As we take a look at these two verses today, we're going to see some things involved in that message, involved in that conversion. And the first is what I call the required repentance. Required repentance. Notice in verse number 19, he says, Repent ye therefore and be converted. Repentance is required in conversion. And there are actually some people that are anti-repentance. It's almost like they have an an aversion toward repentance. And that is concerning. As I look at the fruit of this anti-repentance movement, it's bad fruit. And as I look at it, I also see countless spiritual uh, 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 people who are falling by the wayside. Uh, Really, it doesn't add up. No repentance, no salvation. Repentance is a necessary ingredient in salvation. And since the time of Adam and Eve, God has called sinners to repentance. The Old Testament, for starters, summons the sinner to repentance. In Jeremiah 8 and verse number 6, God laments, he says, No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? He says there was a time there when people were just saying, What? I haven't done anything wrong. Sounds a lot like today doesn't it? And we find no man repented him of his wickedness or said, what have I done? We find over in Ezekiel 14, 6, thus saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourself from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. We find that word turning there, it's synonymous with repentance. And we find our God saying repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. And then we find a summary really of history and kind of a lamentation in 2 Kings 17:13, the Lord testified against Israel saying Turn ye from your evil ways, notwithstanding, they would not hear. We find a God here who continually calls the sinner, calls out to mankind, and he says, Repent. That message had not changed by the New Testament. And early in the pages of the New Testament, we find in Matthew 3, 1, then came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. Notice the message is the same. Repent ye. God calling sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ in Luke 13, 3 said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So, friend, nobody has ever been saved without repentance. Somebody would say, well, wait a minute, I I just thought you had to have faith. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. And, and they're the, the twin sisters, the Siamese twins of salvation. There must be repentance and faith. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is not overcoming sin. There are some who say, well, I, you know, uh, God wants me to clean up myself, so I'll just, I'll just start repenting and, and uh, get my act together and overcome my sin. No, God doesn't say clean up your life and I'll save you. That's a work of salvation. And salvation is definitely not of works. What is repentance? It comes from the Greek word metanoio. And meta means change. We talk about a metamorphosis. That's a change. When a a caterpillar will, will crawl into a cocoon, spin it around it, and then liquidize itself and come out flying as a butterfly, that's a metamorphosis. It goes crawling around on a bunch of legs to flying through the air with little silk wings. That's a metamorphosis. And meta means change. The Greek word is meta-noeo. The second part of that word, noeo, speaks of, of your thinking, your knowledge. No, know, you hear the word in there. What you know, what you think, your knowledge. And together, meta-noeo speaks of a change of mind. That's what repentance is. It is changing your mind. In, in a parable Christ told of a farmer with two sons... We find this written in Matthew 21:28. Jesus says, "But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, "Son, go work today in my vineyard." He answered and said, "I will not, but afterward he repented and went. Did you catch that? He changed his mind. He had a change of heart. That's what it means to repent. Now, John the Baptist, as he was baptizing folks out there near the Jordan River, he saw some folks show up who were not saved. And he said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, some evidence of salvation. Some evidence that you have been truly born again, that you have truly repented. You know, you can say you can't judge a person, only God knows their heart. But certainly, we can recognize good fruit or bad fruit. And John said, bring forth fruit, meat, or evident of repentance. You know that repentance is God's design, and it's God's demand for everybody. We read in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, have you had a time in your life when you 've come to that place of a changed mind about your life, about your sin, about the direction you 're going and, and, and there was this turning as it 's described in the Bible in your heart and in your mind, because the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance that is his design that is his demand, and we read in acts seventeen thirty God now commandeth all men everywhere. To repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. And those who refuse to repent are without excuse. They're without excuse. In Matthew 11, Christ was rebuking a couple of towns. He said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. They would have changed their mind. They would have turned from their sin. Christ can cite things like Nineveh under the preaching of Jonah, repenting, but that generation at his time did not. And now you're at a crossroad in this generation. And you really need to carefully consider this matter of repentance. With salvation or conversion, we first of all see the required repentance in verse number 19 he says repent ye therefore and be converted and be converted we see secondly a radical regeneration a radical regeneration he speaks here of being converted in the in the greek that word means turned around a radical regeneration your whole life turned around the Bible says if any man be in Christ he's a new creature and old things pass away and all things become new and it's a radical change a radical regeneration have you had that you know there are some folks and you talk to them well God and I are, are, are like that we've always been like that thick as pea soup the truth of the matter is before conversion you and God are in opposition the Bible speaks of it as enmity You find yourself sinful. You find God holy. And you two are at odds with each other. And in verse number 19, Peter says to that crowd, Repent ye therefore and be converted. You have not always believed. You have not always been a Christian. You and God are not like that before salvation. And salvation is not just getting into religion or reading the Bible more or having Bible studies. You need a conversion. And we've looked at verses Let's talk about some examples in the Bible. In John chapter 4, we find this woman who meets Christ at this well at Sychar in Samaria. And this conversation ensues, and she wants to take it in a a theological direction. Christ is there to point her to salvation. He points out her sin. Go call your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. And that was true at the time. She'd had five At that time, she was living with a guy. Christ pointed that out. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, he explained the plan of salvation to her, and she got gloriously converted. Forgot why she came to the well, left her water pot behind, ran into the city, and started witnessing to other people. Why? Conversion. We find a crooked tax collector in Luke chapter 19 by the name of Zacchaeus. Who comes clean, he repents, he gets right with God, and he gets glorious gloriously converted when he is converted. We find here also in the Bible the story of the thief of the cross. You're familiar with that one? There was a man crucified next to Christ who had a change of heart on that cross, placed his faith in Christ as the Messiah, and was gloriously converted in the eleventh hour. In Acts chapter 8, we find an African man. Some of you here are from Africa today. This African man was was reading the scriptures. He was trying to find God. And God sent a soul winner by the name of Philip out there into the Gaza desert. And to point him to Jesus Christ, he was gloriously saved. And he went on his way rejoicing. In the next chapter, we find a Jewish man by the name of Saul. Saul of Tarsus who is gloriously saved, and he is converted, and he's never the same. He goes on to become Paul the Apostle. In the chapter after that, we find a Gentile man, a Roman soldier, no less, a centurion by the name of Cornelius, who gets gloriously converted. We could go on through the Scriptures and find uh, gals like Lydia, a seller of purple, a wealthy gal, who's searching and God opens her heart and she understands the truth and she gets saved. In that same chapter, you flip the coin over and there's this rough guy, this soldier, the jailer at Philippi who gets gloriously converted. We could look at so many others. We've talked about the day of Pentecost already in Acts 2. We're looking at some folks who are going to get saved here. How could you miss it? How could a person miss having a conversion experience? For nearly 21 years, I was one of those that thought I'd always been a Christian. I'd been baptized as a baby. I thought I'd always believed. I was a church goer every single Sunday, but I had never been converted. Have you had a time in your life when you repented and were converted and God changed you? Many years ago, there was a young girl in Scotland who uh, had gotten saved. She wanted to get baptized, so she approached the preacher, and the pastor said, well, we need to talk about this. So he interviewed her, and and as they sat across from each other, he said, well, did you realize you're a sinner before you got saved? She said, oh, boy, I realized I was a sinner. He said, well, have you seen a change in your life since you got saved? She said, I've certainly seen a change in my life. He said, well, there was nothing really visible beforehand. Are you still a sinner? She said, oh, I'm still a sinner. I know that. He said, well, what's the difference before and after you got saved? She said, before I got saved, I ran to sin. After I've been saved, now I run from sin. It doesn't matter if you're a Lydia. It doesn't matter if you're a Philippian jailer. Whatever that background. You'll know if you've been converted. There will be a radical regeneration. A change of mind spells a change in direction. So we see the required repentance and we see that radical regeneration. But thirdly, we see this reconciling remission, this this erasing, this forgiveness of sin, if you will, in verse 19. Peter says to that crowd, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Have you had your sins blotted out? In other words, forgiven? forgiven? What a glorious thing that is to be forgiven. Have you done something ungodly in your past? Now don't raise your hand, don't explain it. But have you done something ungodly in your past? I don't know of many people who've lived any length of time who could say no to that. How do you get forgiven for that? Well, in Colossians 1 and verse 14, speaking of Christ, it says, "...in whom we have redemption." through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Not redemption through the baptistry water. Not redemption through the communion wafer. Not redemption through church membership. Not redemption through doing good works. But redemption through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And that blood He shed, it says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. There's a tombstone somewhere over in the UK, and it doesn't have the, the date of birth or the date of death on it. It doesn't even have the name of the person buried there. The epitaph on the tombstone simply reads one word, forgiven. Forgiven. That's all that person wanted everyone to know as they exited this world that they had been Forgiven. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. You know that the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross did what the Levitical system was unable to do. Bible says in Hebrews ten four, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. There must be this reconciling with God, this remission of sin. And it only can come when you are converted, when you have been born again, when your sins have been forgiven. You would say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm not that bad. You know, that's what I used to think. That's what so many people in their self-righteousness think. Well, I, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. If you take, though, the good person test, the Ten Commandment test, if you will, you find out you are not a good person. As you look at that first commandment of not placing anything in, in front of God or ahead of God or having any, any idols, any other priorities other than God, you fail miserably. Certainly you've placed a job or a career or money or relationship ahead of God. That second one speaks of us not concocting some God of our imagination. Boy, we do that. It's a darling sin of humanity. Well, to me, God is like this, or God is like that. To me, God wouldn't send anyone to hell. To me, God understands. Nobody's perfect to me, and we keep saying to me because we invent our own God, and he's not the God of the Bible. The third commandment speaks of not taking his name in vain. Have you ever done that? I talked about ungodly things a moment ago. God says, I will not hold him guiltless that taketh my name in vain. That is serious. The fourth one speaks of always honoring his day. Have you always done that? Fifth one speaks of honoring your parents. Have you always done that? Obeyed him immediately, perfectly, with a good attitude, completely? I don't think so. The sixth commandment mentions not killing. You say, well, I haven't committed murder. But Christ clarifies in the New Testament to even be mad at somebody, angry, bitter towards somebody is murder of the heart. Certainly, you're guilty of that one. The seventh one speaks of not committing adultery. And again, Christ says, if you've even lusted after the opposite sex, it's adultery of the heart. You've committed that one. The eighth one speaks of not stealing. Who could say they've never taken anything that didn't belong to them? Even a cookie from mama's cookie jar as a kid. Or a, a longer coffee break is stealing from the boss. Have you done that? You're a thief. The ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? I think we all have. And yet this Bible says that all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. How are you going to get out of that one? The tenth one says, thou shalt not covet. You ever wanted something you didn't have? Something someone else had? Ever been discontented with what you do have? that's covetousness so are you really a good person I think we all flunk the good person test obviously that's not the way to heaven and the cry of an honest sinner if you will is found in Psalm 51 9 to God hide thy face for my sins and blot out mine iniquities Only God's grace can do that. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross can do that. We read in Psalm 65, 3, as for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. We need a purging. And we find the word in verse number 19 of our text here, blotted, blotted. Notice Peter said to that crowd, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When I read that, I always think of that uh, white eraser ink. a whiteout, I think they call it, right? You know, in this day and age of, of word processors, we go, huh? But back when I was learning to type in high school, I made a lot of mistakes. And you'd have to roll that paper up, and you'd have to put that white out on it, blow on it, and try and get it to dry, and then type over it if you could get it to line up again. It never did. It made a little smoosh into that whiteout there, and you went, this is ugly. But, but I always think of white out. And we find here, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. God takes that white out and he blots out those sins. And we read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, God says, "In you being dead in your sins, hath he quickened or brought to life together with him, having forgiven you all trans, uh, trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Oh, there's a, a month of preaching in this verse here. But it speaks here of us being dead in our sins and those handwriting of ordinances condemning us here that first century Judaism never could satisfy the guilt and the burden of sin. And Jesus Christ comes along and he blots out The handwriting of ordinances, and he took it out of his way, nailing it to the cross, and now we're forgiven. We're forgiven that your sins may be blotted out. I don't know about you, but to me, that's a great relief. That's a great peace of mind and a, a great joy. On March 5th, 1981, I walked out of that preacher's office with a sigh of relief and a whew and a wow, I'm going to heaven. I've been forgiven. There's a a song in our songbook and I I love this song. It's by Horatio Spafford and there's there's quite a story behind it as it was written in the 1800s. I won't get into it now but it's called It Is Well With My Soul and I love that stanza that says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. It's like he can't even finish the sentence. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, But the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I think maybe the songwriter had that verse in mind, Colossians 2.13. We also read over in Isaiah 43, I, even I, God says, am he that blotteth out that transgression for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. God says, I will blot them out. We read that in verse number 19. But then it goes on. Peter says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. What's that all about? Keep in mind here, Peter's speaking to Jews. And they understood this times of refreshing here. You know, over the 4,000-year history, of the Jewish nation going way back to Abraham, the first Jew. There has seldom been a time when they were not heavily persecuted. Where they were not heavily put to death. I uh, was talking to a fellow in the church here this last week. Who was in Chicago recently. On a missions trip specifically to, to seek out Jewish people. And by the way, if, if, if you love the Lord, you love his people. And so he was, he was witnessing the Jewish people. He came across a, a woman in her 90's from Poland who had a tattoo on her arm and she was part of the Holocaust. She had been in Auschwitz. I immediately perked up. I've been to Auschwitz. I've seen the deplorable conditions that the Jews were put under at that time. And I thought to myself how the Jewish people have never had a time when the devil wasn't going after them. If it wasn't Hitler, it was the church of Rome or it was the Roman Empire and before them, it it was the Greeks and before them, it was the Medo-Persians and before them, it was Babylon. And they've always had these enemies that come after them. Somebody asked years ago, prove to me the existence of God. The preacher shot back these simple words, the Jew, the Jew. God promised Abraham the first Jew perpetuity. There would always be Israel. You know, you can't say that for every other culture or people group or nation. Where are the Amorites today? Where are the Perizzites today? Where are the Canaanites today? Anyone had lunch recently with a Philistine, you know? They're just not around. And yet there's no people group that has been more persecuted than the nation of Israel. So Peter here talks about repenting, being converted, having your sins blotted out. And the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. What's he talking about there? Well, throughout all history, the Jews have been ill-treated, horribly treated, persecuted, as as they await their Messiah. And then in our generation, really, back in 1948, they get their land back. Another whole story. Oh, that's so exciting to me. They're back in the land once again. And they are still awaiting... Their Messiah. When is our Messiah going to come? When is our, when's the King of David going to be set up again? And, and sadly, in that whole process, they have missed God's Messiah, haven't they? They have missed Jesus Christ. You know, as Christ made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what the world might call Palm Sunday, he, he came to the city and he gazed at it strongly. And we read this in Luke 19, 41. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this, notice, thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hidden from thine eyes. He said, If you only knew who I am, and you only realized what a big day this is. I wish I had time to get into it back in Daniel 9. But if they'd have only repented, if there'd only been a national repentance at that time, would there have had to be a a Titus? Would there have had to have been a Nero? Would they have been destroyed and, and ransacked in 70 AD and over a million Jews at that time put to death and scattered all over Europe where Hitler would round them up years later if they'd have only known but there was no repentance? And there was no refreshing as a result. Well, we've talked about the required repentance, the radical regeneration that Peter speaks of, the reconciling remission. And finally, he talks about a renewed relationship. A renewed relationship, he says, and he, in verse 20, speaking of God, shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. You repent, you get converted, Your sins get blotted out, and you have this relationship with the Lord that you've never had before. Peter says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Somebody would say, What's he mean by that? Well, Jesus Christ has redeemed us, he has risen, he is residing, but he is also returning. Jesus Christ has also returned. You say, but I thought He had already come. He has. But He's coming back again. First time He came, He came as a lamb. The second time He comes, He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. First time He came to redeem, but the second time He's coming back to rule and to reign. The first time He came, He he came and He wore a crown of thorns, but the second time He'll be wearing a crown of glory The first time he came, he came in poverty, but he's coming back in power. The first time he came, he came in meekness, but he's coming back in majesty. Are you ready for him? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. God has a sovereign timetable. I mentioned Daniel 9 a moment ago. I really wish I had time to go into it. But all that took place was foretold, Jesus Christ is coming back again. Are you ready? Have you been born again? Have you been converted? It starts with a required repentance. Metanoia, a change of mind. Have you ever come to the end of yourself and had this change of mind? The required repentance leads to this radical regeneration, this this conversion. You don't grow into it. It's not something that you get by becoming more moral, turning over a new leaf, getting interested in spiritual things, starting Bible studies. No, it's a radical regeneration. The law of the Lord is perfect. The Bible, converting the soul. It, it requires a conversion. Have you experienced a conversion? That brings about this reconciling relationship. Before that, you're at enmity with God. You're at opposition with God. You and God have not always been like that. We read in Colossians 121, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Do you remember the day you got reconciled to God when you were born again? You were forgiven. It's the most wonderful thing you'll ever experience. And finally, we see that it leads to this renewed relationship. You have God as a father. You can cry, Abba, Father. And he's your wonderful heavenly father. Has there been that time when that spiritual conversion took place it starts with a spiritual birthday can you testify of one you can say this was my spiritual birthday you know in Croydon which is a town about nine miles really from Charing Crossing in southern London many many years ago there was an elderly lady Um, she actually lived to be 104 but something strange happened to her on her 100th birthday the little village was all abuzz of this elderly lady turning 100. There she was on the edge of town living in her little one-room cottage. And a born-again Christian decided to take the gospel to her that day. Sadly, nobody had ever taken the gospel to her all her life. She'd been baptized as a baby. She'd been confirmed as a little, little kid, but she had never been converted. And this Bible-believing Christian came to her little cottage and gloriously led her to Christ, explained the gospel to her, and she got saved. She was, she was born again and so happy that afterwards she said, How can it be that God spared me for 100 years until he could save me? Well, when she died a few years later, the London City Missions magazine ran a story on her and her conversion And said she was born in 1825 and mentioned the specific date. And exactly 100 years later to the day in 1925, she was born again. Born again. Have you been born again? Have you experienced a, a spiritual conversion?
1: You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.